Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. One in five people in the United States lives with a disability. Some disabilities are visible, others are less apparent, but all are underrepresented in media and popular culture. Alice Wong is a disabled activist, media maker, and research consultant based in San Francisco. She's the founder and director of the Disability Visibility Project. That's an online community dedicated to creating, sharing, and amplifying disability media and culture. Uh, she's also compiled a book called Disability Visibility, First-Person Stories from the 21st Century. She'll be headlining uh, virtual events at Utah State University this week. And uh, the, the main event is tomorrow evening, 7 o'clock. It's a webinar headlined by Alice Wong. Um, and you can get more details on that and register. You need to register ahead of time. It's free, but you need to register by going to CHAS, it's the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, chas.usu.edu slash Alice Wong webinar. chas.usu.edu slash Alice Wong webinar. And everybody's invited to uh, participate in that virtual event. Ahead of uh, that event, we are talking about these issues um, with um, Brittany Cox, who's a USU master's student, licensed social worker. Um, welcome to the program. It's great to be here. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. So um, I am in a wheelchair. I um, About 23 years ago, I was in a, a pretty horrific car accident here in Logan. It was actually out on 10th West. Some people still kind of remember it because we actually had balloons in the car, and it was a, a pretty horrific accident for being on 10th West before it had been um, widened. And my best friend was killed. I was actually cut in half by my seatbelt. Wow. And um, my my friend that was driving sustained a TBI, a traumatic brain injury, and um, was in a coma for a couple of weeks. And so, um, and then I spent 13 months in the hospital, was told, my family was told I probably wouldn't survive. They'd never seen an injury like mine, and the person actually survived. And then when I did keep surviving and got to the point where they released me, they gave me a life expectancy of five years at which time I ended up going home for a couple months and then to Sunshine Terrace here in, in Logan and was there for five years. And um, once I was able to get out of there, I was on my own. And um, I got into school. I started in LED and realized I didn't like it <laughs> and had a lot of health problems. Right before I started school, I rebroke my back and had some issues with that and it caused a lot of health problems. So I ended up dropping out. I got back into school in 2015 in social work and have absolutely loved it. Um, I graduated with my BSW. I got my SSW license and then just started in the advanced standing program this year to get my master's in social work and go forward. And um, my area that I really am focusing on and loving is working on disability um, advocacy and um, disability rights things. And I'm absolutely loving it. So it occurs to me, obviously you've lived this, that, you know, you, you lived a different life before, right? Yes. And, and at the moment of your accident, knowing it or not knowing it, you've, you entered a different world. Yes, I did. And it, it was really hard initially. Um, I think part of it was that they'd given me a life expectancy of five years and I went into a nursing home thinking that this is where I was going to die. You know, this was going to be it. And I really struggled for quite a few years with depression and um, not sure what was going to happen in my life if I was really going to be able to go forward and do anything else. And um, so it really took me to a dark place. And I really had some some medical problems as well that really kept me kind of held back. And once we were able to kind of figure some of those out and get me moving forward, um, my life completely changed. And once I was out on my own and being able to to learn how to function in a wheelchair and learning how to live that different life, it was difficult. But, you know, I've, I've learned that there's nothing that I can't do if I'm willing to put forth the effort. I was actually in 2011, I was crowned Miss Wheelchair Utah for 2012. And I was able to spend that year, 2012, um, doing speaking events, advocating, just being a great role model for particularly women in wheelchairs, but just my focus wasn't just on people with disabilities. I think that everybody has something 
that they struggle with. Everybody has something that could be determined a disability in one way or another. And um, so my, my platform was You Can, and it went out to everyone that there's nothing that we can't do if we're willing to, to put forth the effort. And sometimes it has to be finagled a little, little bit. Sometimes we might need a little help getting there. But if we're willing to, to do it, we can, we can do just about anything. Yeah. I want to follow up on several things you said okay. there. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, go around the panel here. Uh, let's bring in uh, Kelly Hess next, uh, Project Coordinator at the Institute for Disability Research Policy and Practice. Uh, Kelly Hess, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Good to, good to have you on the line. You're, I think you're speaking to us from Ogden. I am, yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, tell us a bit more about you. Yeah, so I have experienced disability my whole life. I was born with a pretty rare genetic disorder. Um, its fancy name is uh, multiple pterygium. Um, it's also kind of nicknamed Escobar syndrome. And um, this condition just carries a set of characteristics, including contraction of the joints and muscles. So um, my body is, is shaped pretty unique from um, and different from, dif- from typical people. Um, I have scoliosis, which is a crooked spine, curving of the spine. Um, and I'm pretty small. I'm definitely smaller than an average adult. And um, I'm about four foot and um, just kind of a tiny, tiny person. I also have some respiratory complications. These came about um, when I was a teenager, so, and when I was 18, I was put on a ventilator, which I'm on full-time, a ventilator and oxygen, and that's what supports my respiratory system. And when I was put on the ventilator, I started using um, a power wheelchair for all of my daily mobility. Well, yeah, uh, thank you for that. Uh, so, Brittany, you're using a power wheelchair yes, as well? Yes, I yeah. am. Yeah, uh, some good technology that you go back, I don't know, several decades, you wouldn't have that, right? Right. Um, Chris Gonzalez, uh, director of the USU Latinx Cultural Center, you were instrumental uh, in in getting Alice Wong to, to this vo- virtual uh, event. Why did you want to do this? Yeah, this is um, so a little backstory here. Um, we at USU just wrapped up uh, a week of events uh, under the title The Inclusion uh, Excellence Symposium. And I'm a member of the planning committee for that. And so we were thinking of a theme for this year. And two of the themes that kept coming up had to do with concerns of the AAPI, uh, Asian American Pacific Islander community. Um, and, but then also uh, the the disabled community. Um, we, we, we were uh, pulled in both directions. And um, uh, while we were planning, uh, I... I had recently read um, Alice Wong's book, uh, Disability Vis- Visibility, which you had mentioned in the opening. And I thought, wow, she would, she would be a wonderful person to bring, uh, in particular because she's like a convergence of those two topics, um, of those two areas, I should say. And um, what ended up happening was that our schedules did not align. But I thought, wow, I, I don't want to throw in the towel and say, uh, well, we'll just have to try maybe next year. I I, I really was passionate about um, getting Alice here. And so um, in conjunction with Dr. Christy Glass, uh, um, we said, can we, can we still have an event subsequent to the Inclusive Excellence Symposium as a kind of a follow-up uh, that featured Alice Wong? Um, and so I'm happy to say that uh, that we were able to do that, and we're looking forward to to the events um, tomorrow and Thursday. And um, as a part of this planning uh, journey, uh, I, I I have I have encountered many questions, such as um, why don't we have ASL interpreters for every event that we have at Utah State University? Why don't we have live captioning? Uh, for every event that we have uh, that might be virtual. Um, and and the answer, unfortunately, is it either has to do with money, budgets, or it has to do with the inconvenience factor, which I believe is completely unacceptable. Um, and so I learned 
quite a bit on this journey uh, to actually um, bring this event to fruition. And hopefully I'll be able to talk more about that as we go on today. Yeah. Oh, very good. Um, let me turn back to uh, uh, Kelly Cox. Um, I wonder, um, maybe uh, pick a, a favorite story from Alice Wong's book. Tell us about that. Or are you talking to uh, No, to, to Kelly. Oh, sorry. Yeah. To Kelly Head. Oh, sorry, sorry. I, I mixed up your names. Sorry about that. It's okay. Uh, yes. Uh, Kelly Hess. Yes. Um, uh, maybe a, a favorite story that really resonates with you. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, first, I I really loved Alice's introduction. I think um, it was brilliant. I love how she talks about the power of community. I feel like disability, you know, our society, we, we talk about lots about community and diversity and inclusion, but so often times, even within those conversations, disability is not part of that. And so I love that Alice kind of talks about why she wanted to compile the, these stories, and and she talks about how um, powerful it is to give voice to the disability experience and how disability is such a major part of our community. Disability is is the one um, facet that kind of really encompasses every other pocket of the community. Um, it it transcends um, age, gender, race, socioeconomic status. Um, so many different pockets of the community. Um, disability can be found in all of those. So I love that. She kind of speaks to that. And um, I also really love, it, it's kind of a, a difficult one to read, but the, um, the, it's the first chapter, and it's Unspeakable Conversations by Harriet McBride Johnson, and um, just how, you know, she, she kind of talks about um, the experience she had with a professor from Princeton and really where she felt like she had to um, defend her her life in or the value of her life. And um, it was, I just thought that that was interesting. She asked some really hard questions and it was definitely, um, you know, just provoked a lot of thought and um, introspection. And I like at the near the end, she says, "My fight has been for accommodation to the world, the world to me, and me to the world." And sometimes I feel like that is life with a disability. Is we're constantly fighting for to fit in to a world that and a community that was not necessarily designed for us, but we are a part of it, and we deserve to be a part of it, nonetheless. Well, thank you for those. Um, Chris Gonzalez, you were shaking your head emphatically and agreeing with uh, the impact of, the, I think, uh, Harriet McBride Johnson's story. Yeah. For I, one. I, well, yeah, I was, I was, and I have a copy of the book right in front of me, and I was, I was kind of uh, you know, turning the pages uh, as Kelly was speaking. And before she mentioned Unspeakable Conversations by McBride Johnson, I was thinking that would be the one that I would um, – you know, respond to you if you were to say, well, which, which one seems to stick out? And it is the first one in the book. And it is perhaps the most unnerving, uh, for reasons that Kelly mentioned, which is, um, uh, McBride Johnson has to defend her very existence. Um, so just, just imagine that a human being has to defend why they deserve to live. Um, it's, it sounds, um, you know, something out of science fiction, um, but but this is the reality that we live in, that, that, that many of our um, uh, loved ones and friends in the disabled community have to consistently justify that they have a right to exist, that they have a right to life, they have a right to access uh, the you know, pursuits that we uh, hold dear in this, in this nation of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, and in that particular essay, McBride Johnson uh, characterizes her um, this this professor from from Princeton, uh, you know, not only just antagonistic to her pos- position, which is that she deserves to live, but 
almost uh, as, as if he were debating like why bread should be priced what it is today on the market. It was he, he's, he's very uh, kind of dispassionate and just kind of cold calculating is how he's characterized. Um, very professorial, I should say, as a professor. Um, and it's that essay sets the stage for the entire book of, you know, it's um, you know, the editing decision that Alice Wong did to to front load that essay, uh, I think, prepares the reader for um, what they're going to find in the rest of the book and the remaining uh, essays and, uh, and, and, and excerpts. And, uh, you know, f- you know, finally, I, w- I would just say about that particular uh, essay, um, it is it, 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 it I think it it challenges the reader. You know, it forces the reader to confront perhaps their own biases, their own stereotypes and expectations they have of what they conceive of as uh, someone with a disability. Um, it is. It is. Um, if if we don't embody that existence, uh, it, it really doesn't matter how much we read about it. It, it is still hard for us to fathom, right? Uh, just just a quick anecdote. Um, my mother has lived with me for the past year, and she's disabled. Um, she's, she's, uh, she can, she can walk, uh, you know, a few steps with the assistance of a walker, but, but not very far. And over the summer, I, I had to take her to the airport so that she could uh, visit, um, my sister, uh, in Louisiana. And I had to help her get from, you know, where we all enter the airport to her gate. And I was so frustrated and I was so, um, upset on behalf of her um, how how indifferent the airport seemed to be, how s- services seemed to not be there for her. Um, and uh, when I when I saw her go into the gate and, and and to board the plane, I left the airport thinking everyone should have to navigate an airport once, uh, maybe once you know, a year or, or or something like that, or whenever they do fly, they should do it once just so that they know what 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 certain folks who who are are not able-bodied who cannot just walk uh from one end to the other have to go through i mean it was it was very byzantine it was very maze-like and that's that is a is a reflection of my own privilege i've never had to do that until i had to help my mother do that um over the summer so um that that's 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 what i encounter with alice wong's work is I confront my own privilege. I confront my my own limitations in understanding this particular community. Well, before we go to break, I want to turn back to uh, Brittany Cox. Uh, something that uh, uh, Kelly has quoted from Alice Wong's book um, that the disabled have to accommodate themselves to the world, and the world to disabled persons. Right. Uh, I'm guessing that's that's just a daily. Yes, it a, a, is. A daily Chinese water <laughs> torture kind of a thing, right? Yeah, a lot of the time. And part of it is that people just don't get it. Like, they just don't think about it. It's not something that able-bodied people usually think about unless they have a loved one or a friend or somebody close to them that is part of this community. And so um, the world just doesn't usually think of these things. Excuse me, these things. And so, I mean, one of my biggest fights daily is parking, actually. It is so hard to find parking for a van to let me out um, with my ramp. And, I mean, there's a lot of places there's plenty of parking, but even the ones that are assigned for vans, all sorts of cars that have the, the tags park in them. And so, like, there have been times that I will drive around a parking lot for 20 minutes trying to find a parking spot and that for me is one of one of the biggest ones that and restrooms but um, I, I run into something every day there's always something and I think one of the biggest things is just a lack of education people just don't understand and if more people understood it would make life a lot better for people within the disability community because people would would have a, a little bit different perspective because they could kind of see where we're coming from yeah oh yes just yeah Mm. just just very briefly i just wanted to 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 add to the the issue or the difficulties in in parking um i have a dear friend who also uh requires those spaces um because they're they're in a power chair and 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 i'm I'm ignorant of so many things, as many of us are. And and she made a post years ago that said um, on her social media that said, you know, those those striped 
kind of spaces that are next to the um, uh, where you see the kind of the handicap symbol. Those are not places for you to park. Th- th- those are places that are reserved for people who require that space to get out of their vehicles because they're in a chair. And I thought, wow, I, I, it, it makes perfect sense. But why did I not think about it? Not that I was using those spaces, but I would see sometimes people park there and I would be indifferent to it. So to to Brittany's point, more education and, and even in just basic Things like that uh, would be so so helpful for um, uh, for people such as Brittany. Uh, again, before we go to break, I, I want to turn back to uh, Kelly Hess with this question. You, I'm assuming you encounter some of these things probably on a daily basis. You, you, parking is that a problem? Absolutely. I mean, par- there's parking. Um, there's there's just a lot about access and accessibility, and I I spent a lot of time thinking about what accessibility means and most often our first thoughts go to um, the devices that provide physical access such as ramps and widened doorways or elevators. Elevators are very important if you use a wheelchair Um, and all all of those things, they are very important and necessary for um, people with disabilities to be able to live you know, life, the life that they want and be able to participate in their community. Um, like those devices are just the first step to real access. And I think that when we think about accessibility, we need to think about it in a wider lens and um, think about accessibility in the lens of, of inclusion. And when we work for accessibility, I think that's when we are recognizing that people who experience disability are a vital part of the larger group of our community, and ev- everyone benefits from accessibility. Um, you know, I think sometimes people think, well, elevators um, and additional parking, that's, that's very expensive. Um, but that's not justification for not providing that. And the truth of it is, it is that accessibility does benefit everyone, not just people that use wheelchairs. Um, and access is more than just an accommodation. Access should be a way of life and a belief about your a person with a disability's needed role in the community. Accessibility is an opportunity to imagine a more flexible and inclusive and inviting world for all of us. Yeah, well said. I will say, I'll, I'll, I'll confess on air here. We, uh, so, Brittany, when you arrived this morning, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this was a stress test for UPRs. Disability access. Right? Yeah. We we have a ramp, thankfully. Uh, we use it so seldom. I, I had to think it. You know, we had to collectively think it through. Right. Right. You were very patient, <laughs> um, and you know, ch- cheerful, um, but emblematic, probably, of what you deal with. Yes. Regularly. Yeah. 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 I run into. I mean, one of the things that I don't think people think about, even even with access, a lot of the time. You know, we've gone out, my husband and I have gone to shows or, you know, to different things and certain areas. And I understand, you know, that the fact that some of these buildings are old. And so making those accommodations has to be thought out. And sometimes, you know, like we went to a theater and the ramp, you have to, the person using that comes in a back doorway. And sometimes it kind of can make people that utilize those types of things feel like they're second class or that they don't really matter because, you know, they're sneaking in through the back. Like they have to go a different area that people that don't use those things, able-bodied people usually have the ability to just walk in the front door. And so I think Kelly's point about inclusion is a really important factor. Well, let's do take a break now and uh, much more to talk about, of course. Uh, We are talking about an event that's coming up at uh, Utah State University, a virtual event 
Uh, Alice Wong, who you may have heard of, she's a disabled activist, media maker, research consultant based in San Francisco. She's the founder and director of the Disability Visibility Project, and you can find that online. It's an online community dedicated to creating, sharing, and amplifying disability media and culture. Uh, she also has a book out called Disability Visibility. And uh, so at USU, there will be um, uh, some events, virtual events, and the main one is Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. And uh, you can, it's a webinar, uh, so you can access this anywhere you are. That's the advantage of these virtual events. Um, but you do have to register. So uh, make sure you register for that uh, free event. That's uh, tomorrow evening, Wednesday evening, 7 p.m. And you can get to that at uh, this website, CHAS, C-H-A-S-S, College of Humanities and Social Sciences, CHAS at uh, chas.usu.edu, chas.usu.edu slash Alice Wong webinar, chas.usu.edu slash Alice Wong webinar. Uh, Chris, anything else you want to say about the event? Um, yeah, I, I uh, this is um, uh, an opportunity for um folks in Utah and uh, specifically at Utah State University and I include all statewide campuses here. I want to make sure that I underscore that because uh, at times it's easy uh, here at, at Logan to um, sometimes uh, put them on the back burner but um, I, I want to take this opportunity to say uh, they they are um, always in my thoughts of trying to, to always do more events uh, with them in mind and of course virtual events hap, uh, help with that. Um, this, this, is, this is an excellent opportunity for uh, the audience to listen to someone who has not only lived this experience, but has made it a part of her life, uh, a, a major focus of her life to bring this awareness, bring education to those of us who desperately need it. Let's take a break. We'll be back with more following this. Support for Utah Public Radio comes from listeners like you and the Cache Valley Center for the Arts, presenting Rob Ikes and Trey Hensley an acoustic duo melding blues, bluegrass, country, and rock, along with string band music of all kinds. November 4th at 7.30 p.m. in the Ellen Eccles Theater. Information at cashearts.org. This is Ag Matters. Animal scientists at Utah State University, in collaboration with colleagues at the University of Edinburgh's Roslyn Institute and Washington State University, for the first time have created goats that can serve as surrogate sires to speed the spread of desirable genetic characteristics. Goats were selected for the study because they are an important livestock species in much of the developing world. USU scientists used the CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing tool to produce male goats that were born sterile. But later, when the stem cells from a desirable donor animal were introduced, the young goats produced sperm with DNA only of the donor animal. This has been Ag Matters from the College of Agriculture and Applied Sciences at Utah State University. Thanks for listening to Access Utah today. We are uh, talking about uh, disability, persons with disabilities, all related topics. And uh, we are doing this ahead of an event, a virtual event, headlined by Alice Wong, a disabled activist, media maker, and research consultant based in San Francisco. She's the founder and director of the Disability Visibility Project. It's an online community dedicated to creating, sharing, and amplifying disability in media and culture. Her book is Disability Visibility as well. And ahead of this, we're uh, talking with Kelly Hess, who's a project coordinator with USU Institute for Disability Research Policy and Practice. Uh, we're talking with licensed social worker and USU master's student Brittany Cox, and with Chris Gonzalez, director of the USU Latinx Cultural Center. Um, I want to turn to uh, first to uh, Kelly Hess in this segment. Uh, Kelly... Um, you uh, talked, I was watching a television interview that you gave, and you talked about um, uh, ways to approach a disabled person. And that might seem like, you know, a strange question. You, you probably wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't spend a lot of time talking about that with an abled person, right? But, uh, but a topic I think worth addressing with, with disabled persons, because I think sometimes people are uncomfortable. And and uh, I guess awkward maybe with with that interaction. Uh, talk about about this, would you? Yeah, um, no, it's definitely a topic worth discussing. And um, you know, I'll just be honest. I think that when you when you 
think about approaching a person with a disability, it's it it does make people kind of unsure or um, they're not really sure what approach to take. But I would tell people to um, just go for it and approach them as you would anyone else. There might be things about a person with a disability that that look different or um, or they might have devices with them that um, make one think and question about them or, or their ability. But first and foremost, we need to um, let go of our assumptions and don't assume what a person is able to, even if it's whether or not they can communicate. So approach them by saying hello. And um, a lot of people, I think, are are hesitant to ask questions, but I always encourage questions, even if it's not somebody that I know well. If I'm, you know, waiting in line in the grocery store, if somebody has questions for me or curiosities, I feel like curiosity is just a natural part of being human. And so I would rather somebody, you know, just say hello and even ask me about myself. I don't find that offensive at all. And um, a good way to do it is just to say, hey, um, would you mind telling me a little bit about yourself? Why why do you use a wheelchair? Can you tell me about the ventilator that, and if you don't know the name for a ventilator, that's okay, but just subscribe. They tell me about um, this this device that you have with you, and I don't I don't ever find that offensive. I would rather somebody ask that tells me that they're interested enough to to reach out and to learn more. And um, it's I, I think that people do get a little bit intimidated, but um, I I just really encourage people to go for it, especially if there's children. Um, Sometimes we really avoid things that we don't know or that we might not have experience with or might even be a little bit uncomfortable with. So we avoid them. We we avoid eye contact. We don't say hello. But that really kind of isolates people with disabilities or, or really anyone who is different. Um, it isolates them. And so... You know, make that step and and say hello and, you know, chat about anything you would with anyone else. Um, You know, just about, um, you know, whatever, whatever's appropriate for for the setting you're in. If you're at a concert, talk about the music. If you're in a grocery store, talk about, you know, the sales that you found or or whatever. Um, It doesn't need to be scary. It does take a little bit of initiative. Um, but I think that people will find is once they make that first step, then people with disabilities, um, they like to talk and they like to interact with people and they're happy to answer questions. Um, I know I'm kind of generalizing it because every person has their individual preferences, but I still say take that, take that step, take that chance, and um, chances are you're going to just you know, have a great conversation with somebody. Very good. Before, a similar question to uh, to Brittany Cox. Before we go there, I neglected to um, tell you how you can uh, attend the Alice Wong event. Uh, so I want to do that uh, now. Uh, we mentioned that Alice Wong will be headlining an event uh, for Utah State University. This is a virtual event. It'll be a, a Zoom webinar. You do, it's free. And you can pick it up anywhere you are, but you do need to register. And uh, so just go to chaz.usu.edu slash Alice Wong webinar. Chaz is C-H-A-S-S. It stands for College of Humanities and Social Sciences. Chaz.usu.edu slash Alice Wong webinar. And click on the Join the Webinar link, and you can register for that. That uh, event is uh, Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. Uh, so I want to ask a similar question uh, to, to you, uh, Brittany Cox, um, about how to approach a person with a disability. And you have you have a definite before and after, right? Right. Uh, did, did you find do you find that people approach you differently? Yeah. After your accident? Yeah. Well, and I think I mean I was 16 years old. I was in high school when it happened, 
And I actually lost a lot of my friends because they they didn't know how to talk to me anymore. They didn't it made them scared. They were they were nervous and so I lost a lot of my friends because they just didn't understand how to interact with somebody with a disability. And I think that Kelly really hits it on the nose is just, I mean, if you don't ask, you're never going to know. Um, a lot of people are very open and willing to communicate about and talk about their disability and to share and to educate. And I, too, am one of those people. I'm very open about my disability, what I've been through. And I'm, I love when people are willing to ask me questions and I can talk about it and they can learn from me and, and be educated. And so I know that there are some people who, who don't feel that way, but if you don't ask, you're never going to know. And so I think just being able to ask, you know, can I ask you some questions about your disability and being open and, and allowing that person to tell you how they feel about it. And if they're not comfortable, don't be offended. Um, that's just the way they are. And if they're willing, um, go forward and ask questions, you know, and um, but if if we don't start the conversation, it's never going to happen. Yeah. Chris Gonzalez, what do you think? Uh, How would you have people uh, interact with your mother, for example? Yeah. Yeah, um, Well, you know, what I want to start with is is, um, you know, if, if, if we're talking about people who are acting in good faith, um, then these people who act in good faith. Uh, probably have somewhere in, you know, pinging about in their brain the idea of equality. And if they're seeing equality as a positive thing, then they may wrongly assume that they should ignore the difference and just treat everyone the same. And on paper, and when I say that, it kind of makes sense. But that's exactly what Alice Wong is like, kind of working against, right? It's, 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 it's making the difference visible to society, to systemic uh, institutions in our nation and uh, you know, all over the world, of course. Um, and so I think people can come to this by kind of setting aside the idea that, oh, I should treat everyone the same. And that means that means that I have to ignore the difference between us. This is not only applicable to the disabled community, it's applicable to all non-majority identities in the United States. So when people say, well, I'm colorblind, I don't see race, I don't see gender, well, that's demonstrably false. Um, We do distinguish difference. That's how we navigate the world. We understand that this is different from that. And so the first step that I think and I, as someone who is not a part of the disabled community, but I do have a mother who is disabled, the, the, the first thing that, that we should do is, is, is to you know, take Kelly's advice and what Brittany is saying and to, and to have the courage to start up conversations. Um, why do we feel discomfort when we are in the same room with someone who's in a power wheelchair perhaps or someone who may have uh, uh, some other uh, disabled condition. Um, That is a problem that we have to work with ourselves. That is not like the onus is not on the disabled person. Like that is something that we have to work through our own discomfort. And we can do that by attending events like the Alice Wong event, listening to this show, listening to people whose lived experiences can enlighten and illuminate how we understand these issues. Um, and just to, to address your question, um, uh, my mother is, um, uh, and I say this with love, you know, she's, she's, uh, she's, a, she's a tough cookie. <laughs> Right. And so I would imagine someone coming to her and asking her a question. But I but I've seen her also be very upfront about why she has difficulty walking um, and and what, what and she's always also very um, uh, or at least to me, she's 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 always famous for saying, you know, well, when I was, uh, you know, when I was in high school, I was a, I was a, I was a cheerleader and I could do all of these things with my body and and it's interesting that she has to preface that. Um, and that's something that she is kind of contending with where, and it may be applicable to, to perhaps Brittany's experience in some way, which is you were, you know, your body was one way before, you know, in the past, and now it is not the same. And you have to kind of psychologically and cognitively kind of deal with that profound change in, in your life. So, um, 
I, I, I would just underscore what's already been said. Uh, you know, acting in good faith, try to understand, try to try to educate ourselves, try to strike up conversations and ask questions. I want to turn to um, Kelly Hess again. Um, I wonder, do, do you have you had difficulties with people? Uh, how people perceive you? In other words, uh, specifically. Uh, do you get the feeling sometimes that people just see your disability and they don't see uh, Kelly? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And because if you were to see me, you know, I kind of do have a lot going on. I've got my wheelchair. Uh, my body is shaped different. And I have the ventilator, which is attached to a tube that goes right into my neck. So I do think that, you know, just at face value, as they say, like people do, um, they're not sure what my ability is. They don't even know if I can speak or what my um, intellectual capacity is. And so sometimes that's hard because I do feel like um, people, they they avoid what's, what's unfamiliar with them. They don't want to be caught in a, a situation where they, um, you know, are... They, they start to talk, and then they learn that I can't. If they were to learn that I can't speak, then that you know, that might make them so awkward. Um, so it's, I, I do think that people have a very, very, when they first meet me, they have a very different um, idea or expectation as to what my, my actual life or who even I actually am. Um, and I, you know, it's, Sometimes it's tempting to want to um, tell people my whole life just because I want I want them to, um, you know, gain a different vision of who I am. But I also feel like that could be exhausting because <laughs> I would be doing that all day long. And so I just um, kind of carry on and, and do my thing and... Um, when people do interact with me, I think they quickly learn and shift their expectation of what they thought or assumption of, of who they th- thought that I was. And um, if they if they do spend time with me, then they see that my life is very full. And honestly, my life is um, probably pretty typical to theirs, you know, I I work, I shop for groceries, I cook food, I do laundry, I do all of those human things that they probably do. I watch movies, I, um, you know, I have a husband and a dog that I take care of. Um, I'm, my life is pretty, like, pretty typical and sometimes even in a boring way, and that's okay, but... Um, yeah, I think people once they once they start talking with me, or if they have a chance to um, spend time with me, then then it really does surprise them at what my life, the reality, what my the reality of my life actually is. I want to ask a similar question to you, uh, Brittany Cox. Do you have to navigate this? Do you do you have difficulty sometimes? Uh, people yeah. just see disability and they do, they don't see Brittany. I, I I think my personality tends to lend to people being a lot more comfortable. I don't run into that quite as often as some other people within the disability community just because I'm very outgoing. I'm a lot of the time go up to people and start talking. You know, I'm not afraid of things like that. But, I mean, I, I even think back to some of the times in the hospital when I was um, – we were all learning how – if I was going to survive and dealing with some of that, a lot of the, even the doctors treated me differently now that I had this diagnosis of paralysis. And some of them even acted like I couldn't hear just because my spinal cord was damaged. You know, they would yell or they would talk to my parents instead of me. I'm asking them questions that I should be answering. And so, and I still, I do get that. Some people will talk to my husband or if I'm with one of my parents or somebody, they'll talk to them sometimes instead of addressing me. And um, I do I do run into it, but my personality just lends to trying to make people 
feel comfortable and understand that just because I sit in a wheelchair doesn't mean that I can't do the same things that they do. I just do it slightly differently. And so um, for me, it's it's partly an outlook and just making people feel comfortable right from the get-go just because that's my personality. But I still do run into it quite often. Mm-hmm. Chris Gonzalez, I wonder, uh, from perspective of, you know, those not in the disabled community, what would your suggestion be in terms of interaction and seeing the person, not the disability? Yeah, this is, um, uh, this is a, certainly a challenge. And I think what I would like to do is, is to kind of go back to something that Kelly had mentioned. Um, I think it's important to circle back to it, which is how exhausting this can be. Um, now, I don't, I don't speak from experience there. I have to be careful how I, how I situate what I'm about to say. But if we're just looking at, say, communities that are non-majority groups, right? So I belong to the Latino, Hispanic uh, community. That's how I identify. And I find that it can be exhausting explaining what it means to be a Latino man in the United States today. And, and I, I get sometimes tired of it, even though that's, that is part of my research agenda. But it, it can be exhausting, too, because it seems that at times people haven't even done the basic kind of, you know, Google search on this. I, I, I don't I don't really have a problem talking about kind of nuanced, you know, interesting issues about the community um, or about my identity. But when I talked and I guess that's what I was talking about earlier when I said, you know, someone who asks in good faith, but someone who just seems like they've never even bothered. And now they suddenly have this interesting question for me because they saw some Mexican character on television. Uh, I, that, that's, that's almost, uh, that, that, that can be very offensive. Right. So I, so I think what, what, if, if we're talking about the disabled community in, in perspective of those who are not, um, let us do basic research, this kind of basic understandings of, of the kinds of um, issues that the community faces. And it is a very diverse group, right? I mean, as, as um, Kelly and, and, and Brittany and Alice have, have all kind of underscore, uh, there are some, there are some uh, challenges that cannot be seen, right? So there are all sorts of uh, expressions of disability. And so um, it's hard to know all of it, but we can do some basic research. We can, we can educate ourselves. And that way, when we are in a situation where we can learn even more from, from someone who, is, who has intimate uh, experiential knowledge of what it means to be disabled uh, in 2021, uh, then we can have a fruitful, productive educational experience rather than, you know, kind of talking, you know, asking questions that are almost borderline offensive because we haven't even bothered to kind of do our research. If you've uh, just joined us, we are uh, talking ahead of an event. Uh, it'll be headlined, uh, sponsored by Utah State University, headlined by Alice Wong, a disabled activist, media maker, and research consultant based in San Francisco. She's founder and director of the Disability Visibility Project, and uh, she is headlining a virtual event for USU. That'll happen uh, tomorrow evening, Wednesday evening at uh, 7 o'clock. And uh, that is a Zoom webinar. It's free and open to you, but you do need to register. And uh, here's where you go. Here's the website to go to do that. Uh, chas.usu.edu slash Alice Wong webinar. C-H-A-S-S dot U-S-U dot E-D-U slash Alice Wong webinar. So uh, we're rapidly uh, reaching the end of our hour. And uh, it's been a great discussion. I, I want to wrap this up. Uh, I'll ask everybody to be somewhat brief because we only have about five minutes left in the entire program. I'll start with uh, Kelly Hess. So what, is, what is the one thing that you would, if you know, you were czar of the world, what's the one thing that you would have done to, to make things better for the disabled community? Oh, that is a really tough one. Um, but honestly, I think it comes down just to shifting perspectives and creating more awareness and exposure to disability. And um, I think it was Brittany that mentioned that disability is not something that people think about unless you're personally connected to your, unless it's personally connected to your life, either through um, personal experience or a loved one. But, um, you know, there's a lot we can do just as a society in general to 
become more aware and become more educated and to make room within our community and our social circles. And I, I think that, um, I think it is happening, but it's happening at um, a pace that's fairly slow, slower than what is um, reasonable or, or um, slower than what I would like to see anyway. Um, so I think we continue to make those efforts. We continue to um, have conversations like this and um, learn all that we can, but also um, just make those efforts in your, you know, personal life to connect with somebody who has a disability. Sit down and talk with them, not just because they have a disability, but because they're a person and they have a perspective that is is valuable and um, so that's that's what I would wish for. All right. Same question to you, Brittany Cox. What's the one thing? I think I would have to agree 100% with everything Kelly just said. But I think another thing that I would love to see is education. I think it would be, I think something really important is to be able to educate even from grade school up about the disability community. The disability community is one of, is the only community that anybody can join at any time. You can't change your race, you can't change your ethnicity, but you can obtain and acquire a disability at any point in time. And so anybody could join that community at Mm -hmm. any time. And having that education can also help prepare people so that if something were to happen, they wouldn't go into a, oh, my life is over, I have a disability, I can't live a life. Because even with a disability, you can live an absolutely wonderful and full life. And so um, everything that Kelly said, I think, goes perfectly. And then just education, being able to, because I think the more people are educated, the the more those um, perspectives can be shifted and changed. And Chris Gonzalez, uh, 30 seconds here at the end of the program. One thing. <laughs> yeah, just uh, just in line with all of the things that have already been said, um, you know, embrace the idea that you don't know everything, right? Um, there's, 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 you know, well, I don't want to offend anyone. I didn't know. Well, okay, you didn't know, but what have you done to address that particular uh, area of ignorance you may have, right? It's, it is um, not only okay to admit your ignorance, right? Uh, it's actually a, a courageous and brave thing because it shows that there, there are things that you need to learn and that, the, that there are things that are worth knowing. Very good. A good place to end the conversation. We have been uh, talking ahead of an event uh, sponsored by USU, headlined by Alice Wong who's uh, founder and director of the Disability Visibility Project. Alice Wong will be speaking by Zoom webinar from San Francisco, and uh, that's available to you, um, but you do need to pre-register. The event is Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock. Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock. Here's how to pre-register and to join this event uh, at the Ecology of Humanities and Social Sciences website. So it's chas, uh, ch. ASS.USU.edu slash Alice Wong webinar. Chess.USU.edu slash Alice Wong webinar. We very much appreciate uh, Kelly Hess joining us, project coordinator with the USU Institute for Disability Research Policy and Practice. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. And uh, we've been joined uh, here in studio by Brittany Cox, who's a USU master's student and licensed social worker. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. And Chris Gonzalez, director of the USU Latinx Cultural Center. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. And thanks, everyone, for listening to Access Utah today. Support for Utah Public Radio comes from our members and Salt Lake City Weekly, a Utah news source since 1984, covering music, dining, nightlife, and more in Salt Lake City and beyond. Available weekly at 1,800 locations across the Wasatch Front or online at cityweekly.net. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide, member-supported service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org and on the UPR app.